Hi, my name is Vivian Aqua and this is Let's Humanize the Workplace. And I am the workplace wellness advocate who helps or no, who advises organizations about how to keep their employees healthy, happy, and safe. And I've got something to share. This is my 50th, 50th episode. Can you imagine that somewhere in November, I started doing these lives, these weekly lives or bi-weekly lives, and then I decided to do a weekly live show. And I was just like, okay, am I allowed to speak up? Am I going to speak up? Who's going to listen? Who's going to notice me? What do I have to share? And I had all these question marks in my mind. And now, it is number 50. So celebrate with me. Just, just share your love if you're happy to tune in. Just share your love if you are have been watching me or following these episodes. And also, I'm curious about, are there any topics missing? Because, of course, I want to involve you, include you in this conversation. So if there is a topic missing or if you feel like I need to interview a certain guest speaker, just let me know and I will try to make that happen. So as long as it has to do with let's humanize the workplace, then I will do my best to make it happen. So today, it is a, a very important day besides me celebrating my 50th life. Woohoo! I'm very happy. <laughs> my 50th life. I also want to um, touch base on a few topics. So the first topic is of course, share the love. Sharing is caring because the topic that I have to uh, share every time, it's all about humanizing the workplace. So if you are listening to this on LinkedIn or YouTube or on Twitter or on Facebook, just say hi and I'll, I will definitely try to do my best to include you and involve you in this conversation because I am doing this not only for myself, I am not only doing this for the guest speakers. No, I'm doing it for you to inspire you to create a thriving workplace where the human factor is up to par. It's beyond up to par. So um, I also wanted to touch base on a topic that is globally right now. And it's about what happened last week, Monday. Um I am based in the Netherlands and today was a protest or um, a silent protest about what's happening in the world right now. And it had to do with Black Lives Matter. So I am really appreciative of LinkedIn and so many other companies like Nike, but also PayPal who are standing up, who are uh, supporting and making it happen when it comes to creating diverse and inclusive workplaces, because this is a statement. This is a statement from LinkedIn. So I'll read it out loud. So LinkedIn is saying, we stand with our colleagues and the black community. We stand with those fighting racism every day. We stand for justice, fairness, and level playing fields. And as a company, we will not stand for another day of anything that gets in the way of real progress. We are in this together and stronger as a community of coworkers, leaders, and friends. And together we can create a just and equitable future. Know that the black community worldwide is feeling this pain. Know that every mother, every parent 
is feeling this pain. The pain at the moment that losing a black son, a black brother, a black uncle, a black person within the community, it's felt. And even though black people are dealing with microaggressions on a daily basis, it builds up. It builds up to a point that we cannot stand anymore. And that's why I am in my way also protesting about what's happen happened in the States. I know that I'm living in a country where it's not as bad as in the States, but we do. Every community, every people, every person of color here in the Netherlands is also dealing with maybe microaggressions or maybe, you know, more aggressions. I am just saying that enough is enough. And I do feel like the companies here in the Netherlands need to make a stand as well. They need to say something, especially the companies that are saying that they are diverse and that they embrace inclusivity. You need to stand up and say something because this is affecting all humans. And that's why I'm speaking up now. And I want to go further to the guest speakers that we have today. So I'm welcoming Susanna and I'm also welcoming Monique and I'm going to make it larger. Monique Arrington. Monique recruits A players for business that are mission driven and she fixes the broken recruiting process. Susanna. Susanna is an integrated recruitment and retention consultant who helps organizations take a big leap to meet their mission goals while designing, launching, and leading game-changing initiatives. Welcome, ladies. I am, first of all, so happy and proud that I'm having you here because Monique decided to invite a guest speaker. And um, <laughs> Susanna is the guest speaker of Lift As You Climb. And that's why we are having not one person, but we are having two guest speakers on this panel today about how to fix the recruitment process because we need, if, we need to do something about this. So the first question that I will ask is, what is your connection with humanizing the workplace? And I'll go for Susanna. So it's very personal for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had 14 jobs as an adult and an appalling majority of my managers have been really bad. And I um, am just committed to making this work better for people. I finally started asking why was work so painful? And um, after working for myself, realized it didn't have to hurt. And so I want to do what I can to make work be a healthy place where people can show up as their full selves and have their skills and talents appreciated by the people mm -hmm. they spend most of their waking hours with. Yes, thank you. And Monique? I think a very similar story, but I was working in recruiting, building strategies, and just realizing that we were taking the human element out of it. Whether it was with AI, whether it was with automation, with ATS, I just really realized that we are hiring humans, but we're treating them like robots. So mm -hmm. I left corporate America to basically help build human recruiting processes and organizations. And that's what I do now. Yeah. But why do you feel that we need to fix it? What what are the most what first of all, why do we need to fix it? I think we generally need to fix it because people are generally unhappy at work. People mm -hmm. are so depressed. <laughs> people are not able to fulfill their career aspirations, especially people of color within the organization. Mm -hmm. And people aren't able to actually 
how would I say this? Companies are not able to get the talent that they need because they're doing old fashioned ways of recruiting. They're not thinking to themselves how to look at transferable skills. I think that's mm-hmm. number one biggest issue that we have in recruiting right now is not looking at potential. We're always looking at people who have a ton of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say another huge issue I have is just ATS systems and a whole and the way that they're being used within our- Where we're we going to touch space on that. <laughs> yeah, on a whole. It's safe, but it's you're like, it. how are we fixing it? <laughs> Just David yeah. and, and Susanna, what what is your why, why do you feel that we need to fix the hiring process? <laughs> so technology has actually been the worst thing that could have happened to hiring. Technology mm-hmm. has made it more frustrating for both employers and job seekers, and has made has given us too many options. So I completely agree with Monique, and this is one of the things that we connected on is that we are both much more interested in someone's capabilities. Um, than we are in what they've done in the past. I frankly never want to do a job I've already done. I want to learn something new. I want to grow. And what we're seeing now, particularly because okay. of COVID-19. I'm, I have to stop right there. And this is not that. <laughs> but Monique knows this about me, but you were mentioning something that is so <laughs> valuable. And that is, you know, sometimes there are people sitting in the back that cannot hear what you're I saying. know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So you said something about we want to hire them for what they can yes. instead of what they did. Can you yes. repeat that sentence just so that the people in the back? Can- <laughs> <laughs> we want to hire people for what they can do, not mm-hmm. for what they have already done. Yes. Thank you. Sorry for my weirdness, but no. Monique knows this. No, we, need to, we, need to, we, need to, we need to touch base on that one. So regarding the hiring process, what are the must-have ingredients to improve the interview process? <laughs> who are we talking to? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, who is with you? So I'll start with Susanna. <laughs> Okay, so I've actually engaged in a job search for the last 10 months until I got Mm -hmm. so frustrated, I decided to just start my own thing and do the kind of hiring that I wanted to experience. Mm -hmm. I interviewed, I applied for over 120 jobs and I had 17 interviews out of that. And I have to tell you that the way we do this right now is just stupid. We are asking people, both sides, employer and job candidate, to make one of the biggest decisions of their lives after what amounts to three or four dates, where you are in a highly intense, high pressure interview situation, where you don't only get in the door through a really a two, a flat two dimensional piece of paper yeah. that bullets your skills according to a uniformly terrible job posting. And then we expect people to make a decision and nobody's happy as a result. So I think the most important thing we can do is listen, actually. Like, I think that companies need to start with pre-work and listen to themselves more because the lack of self-awareness that I'm encountering from employers, they don't know what they want. They don't know how to ask for it. And then they don't know how to find it. So I think the most important thing we could do is to get companies to prioritize hiring as a core part of their business success. Mm-hmm. And everything will flow out of that. So instead of you know promoting that as an employer branding thing, take mm-hmm. it more serious. And do you feel like we still need to have that motivation letter and the CV? No. 
I've actually invented a new tool called the Antivisio, which mm -hmm. allows candidates to showcase what they will do for a company as opposed to what they've done in the past. When we select contractors or consultants, we put out a pitch basically. When I'm seeking work, I will put out a pitch and say, this is what I will do for you. We never give job candidates the opportunity to do that. I think resumes and cover letters cool. are uh, filtering tools that no longer fit the needs of our 21st century workforce. And Monique, what do you think? I'm, I'm, I'm ready now. I'm sitting, I'm, sti I'm sitting good. My feet are there. So I'm, say, I'm ready. I would say, you know, what Susanna said is pretty much spot on. I would, I would mm -hmm. say my thing right now, though, is really, let's say you're a new company. In order mm -hmm. to get a great interviewing process, you need to do what she said, the pre-work. You need to define what is your culture? What is it really? You need to be, it's a living, breathing thing. So you need to be constantly assessing that. You need to actually build interview questions. If you're going to have an interview, I've been on so many different panels building interview questions where they're not even, interview questions have anything to do with the job. So just the basics need to be done. So mm -hmm. first, define your culture. Second, start looking at your interview questions. How are you going to interview and assess the talent of this individual? And get that done before you start interviewing. Believe it or not, most of the companies I work work for that seek my help, they do it the backwards. They go ahead, they put out a job posting, they see what's out there in the you know job market, and then they decide to make interview questions based off of what they're going on. And then they have no idea what they really truly need. Um, so a lot of that pre-work needs to happen in order for the interview process to get better. And that's what I do mostly with most of my clients. It's really about building that strategy side. Um, but I would say the number one thing that really needs to be fixed is humanizing it. Like actually mm -hmm. having a person call you on the phone or text you, reach out to you and get to know your story. Not asking you questions like, oh, what did you do five years ago? I was a different person five years ago. Why are you asking me what I was doing five years ago? I'm not that person. Are you the person five years ago? No. No. <laughs> Your your company wasn't the same yeah. five years ago. True. True. Ask me what I'm doing right now. Ask me what I can do for your organization. So that's, that's why a, that's like, a great tip. I think and videos also, videos work really well here. Um, yeah. Instead of a CV, instead of a resume, um, and even in outreach messaging, doing videos. So like when I reach out to candidates, I don't send them some email about, they don't care about me. They don't know who I am. They're like, why am mm -hmm. I talking to this woman? Me introducing myself in a video and humanizing it. And companies need to be doing the same thing. That's well, cool. But I also wanted to say, ask you something about, you know, asking these questions, because some questions are outdated. Shouldn't it be that a company should hire somebody from the outside or ask somebody from, from a different perspective and see, are we doing well? Because I'm seeing the same candidates over and over. What can we do to change? I think a lot of companies do do that. That's why, mm -hmm. you know, they come to people like me and probably people like Susanna, but there's just not enough of them because mm -hmm. a lot of these companies have internal recruiting companies. Yeah. You know, they have an internal recruiting team. But the problem with having an internal recruiting team, a lot of the times is they're just going to do what they're told. They're going to keep up that status quo and they don't have a lot of influence or power to change anything. Okay. okay. What, 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 what can we do to <laughs> still respectfully keep internal recruiting, but 
some way break break that bubble? What can we do? I think we need to have internal recruiting for bigger, larger organizations. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there should always be every quarter someone from the outside coming in and auditing things. Yeah. Let's see what's actually working as far as your culture. Let's see what's working in your interview process and what's not. And then we need to be taking feedback from candidates. How many times mm -hmm. do we go through the whole interview process? We have exit interviews. We have all these other really cool things yeah. in recruiting. But one thing I love to do are actual candidate surveys after the fact. So how did we really do as a, you know, so there's just not enough a collection of actual feedback and then mm -hmm. actually doing something with that feedback. And there's feedback. Every organization I've worked for, candidates will let us know. We're doing well. We're not doing well. Our interviewing sucks. But guess what happens with that feedback most of the time? It goes in the trash. Nobody does anything with that feedback and we continue recruiting. But that's because there's a psychological thing going on here. Mm -hmm. People think, companies think that they're up here and their candidates are down here. And they're like, hey, we're giving you a job. You should beg for a job. Whatever mm -hmm. we need you to do in order for but you to get a job. Before the situation, so before COVID happened, we, let's say that the world for talent was a positive thing for talent, yeah. mm -hmm. for employees. And now due to the lockdown, I think that things are going back, but there will come a time that the war for talent will still be keep going on. And then definitely there is still a war for talent going on in the tech roles, oh, yeah. right? So yeah. um, what can we do to hire better or to do better, Susanna? I think that things have actually been broken for a while because mm -hmm. the way that we have been looking for talent and the reason there was a war for talent is because we were looking for an exact one-to-one -one correspondence between what someone had done in the past and what we needed someone to do. Mm -hmm. I think what this time now gives us an opportunity to do is to look for flex utility players. The most successful companies, the ones who are going to survive this time the best, are the ones who are looking at the core talents of their existing staff and asking, what else can you do? And I think that's going to become the norm. There are two organizations that have done this really well. The first is King Arthur Flower, which found itself besieged by demand by customers who all of a sudden dis discovered baking during the mm -hmm. quarantine. Yeah. And they're an employee-owned company, which I think really makes a difference. They had an employee meeting and they asked the employees how they wanted to handle things. People put their own safety first, which was very smart. And then they did everything they could to put people in jobs where they would be safe. So that means that some people who were selling baked goods on their floor are now making masks for other employees to stay safe. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of diversified thinking, divergent thinking that business is going to need to put to every single hire in the future. The other organization is an art museum at the University of Texas. And when the crisis hit, they also looked at their staff and they said, what are your top priorities? And then they put out a survey and said, what can you do that we don't know about? So as a result- So they, they touched in, in the hidden talents of the people. Exactly. Yeah. So as a result, they now have a security guard who is writing thank you notes to donors because he's got mm -hmm. gorgeous handwriting. Yeah. They have people who've been doing events who are doing art research. And not only, so they're not just getting more talent, they're building the professional skills of the people who are on their staff now and giving them more career mobility. Yeah, they're crafting the jobs. And I, I think that exactly. we should utilize that more often. Monique, what, what do you have to add on to this or something else? 
Um, I think the war on talent and looking at how we look at talent pre, you know, after COVID is the same way that we were looking at it before, Mm -hmm. actually. I don't think it's going to be, there's not a huge difference. I think now what's really going to be happening is the co-creation of a role, right? Mm -hmm. Because now we have all these unique challenges, whether it's working from home, whether it's you have kids. So now it's going to your boss and saying, hey, these are my challenges. These are my barriers. This is what I can do. And how can we work? together. So that co-creation conversation is probably the best thing that's happened out of COVID. Because I think what's mm-hmm. going to happen is we're going to now see the best talent in our organization. What's the be- We know the best talent is actually people who are already employed with us. Mm-hmm. So we need to understand how we can re-interview people while they're in our organization and put their talents to good use. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So another question that I have, can recruiting change company cultures? I think everyone has influence on changing the culture, right? Everybody has, you know, whether it's the CEO, the janitor, or the sales team. But I think recruiters, we are the mascots of the company majority of the time. So everything that we do is under a microscope, right? So anytime a candidate, we're usually the first time a candidate ever talks to anyone, it's usually with us. So the way we relate to them and how we are can influence culture. But culture comes from the top down. The leaders have to have the sense of what that culture is, responsibility, and then in, the recruiters can influence it. Um, I, I don't think we can change cultures. I think we can influence them only. Okay, but you're, you're mentioning that leaders are, should, what, what did you say? The leaders should I have? That, I, I said leaders are responsible for defining the culture of an organization. Okay, because there is a leader culture, you know, mm-hmm. the, the culture that once the leader steps into the room, that's another culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's the culture without the leader present. And then there's subcultures within teams, yeah. right? Yeah. There's cultures in every team that you have. So when I think of culture, I think of the bigger picture culture. Like mm-hmm. what are the, the value alignment within the organization, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. that usually comes from the top down. And then you have subcultures that embrace you know, other things. So you might have an engineering team that embraces flexibility. That's a part of their big jargon. You'll have recruiters that are like, our culture is mostly, you know, the candidate experience. We're very worried about that. So I would say leaders influence the big picture culture. And that's what we really see when we are talking about culture. We're not talking about subcultures. We're talking about what the leaders have defined as culture and what the value alignment is within the organization. Thank you for clarifying that. And Susanna? This is where I think the pre-work is essential. The more you understand your organization and are able to clearly articulate what your culture is, what your values are, and how those get transmitted, the more you're able to actually have honest conversations about who succeeds in your organization and why, and who fails out and why, the better you're going to get at just knowing what your culture is. And I think once you know what your culture is, you're able to then reflect more productively on changes you want to make and understand why things operate the way they are. I've come to believe that culture actually kind of exists outside of people in an organization, that there can be a kind of culture that gets transmitted through the stories we tell about ourselves so that the bodies can change, but the stories remain. And I think interrupting that takes a leader who's willing to come in and consciously disrupt the narrative of the company's culture. But to me, Monique's point, I think that exact, that, that is a hallmark of leadership. When you have a leader who prioritizes culture 
over anything else. Yeah. I would also argue that a healthy culture or one that works for the people within your organization, which is what a healthy culture should be ultimately, will drive better ROI and improve your bottom line. Yeah, we've that. seen that in several companies, right? Zappos, mm -hmm. Starbucks, all of these companies are heavily influenced by culture. Yeah, definitely. And um, what can companies do to keep the candidate engagements during COVID-19 still going? Oh, I love this question because I'm getting a lot of this. So I have over 25 different open recs right now working with clients. Mm -hmm. And um, what I've been doing right now far as keeping in touch is a couple folds, basically doubling my communication, right? So if I get someone on the phone, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to text them every couple days. Are they still motivated about the role? Um, I reach out via video messaging. So instead of me just picking up the phone, about 50% of my outreach is video via text. Text. So you'll just get a text like, who's this lady? And then like, <laughs> and then they'll see a big face of me. Um, and then once we get through the interview process, it's really about explaining to them what the next steps are every time you're having the conversation, right? So when you're on the first screening call, you're letting them know, hey, I'm going to be speaking to my hiring manager on Wednesday. I'm going to give you a text, a call, and an email. So I do three ways of communication. And I tell all my candidates that I am an over communicator. Okay, so that's how you keep touch with candidates. But let's say you're freezing hiring, because right now people are freezing hiring, right? A lot of hiring is frozen. Let's talk about how you can keep in contact with these people. The best way to keep in contact with these people is to start showing one kind of like whatever you do far as team building. So what I did is I made a highlight reel for a company not too long ago where what we did is we did like all of their past happy hours, um, their office um, tours and things like that. And we put in a highlight reel and we sent out an email to everyone that was frozen um, far as hiring. And we said, hey, you know, we're freezing hiring, but look at all this cool stuff in, you know, organizing and we can't wait to talk to you guys. And we gave them a pretty definitive date of when we could, but we also let them know, hey, with COVID, you never know. Things are constantly changing. And per week, we're emailing these people with new tidbits about their industry. So mm -hmm. let's say they're engineers. Let's say they're um, in science. We're like, hey, this is what we're working on. So teams, the actual teams in the organization are saying what they're working on, getting them still interested. We're also giving them newsletters about an industry and we're keeping tabs on them that way. And then every month, every 30 days, we're giving them a call and saying, hey, are you still interested in the role? We know it's been a long wait. We're doing everything in our power and when we can actually have this. But a lot of people are actually doing remote work. So then it's a whole other conversation. How can we make sure that you can actually work from home? What does your lifestyle look like right now? Is that even a thing? Um, so that's how you can engage candidates. There's a lot to be done. Um, this, is, this is so positive because <laughs> I've been hearing horror stories about people being ghosted, even at being asked, you know, to write the resume or to write the motivation letter and or they get a, st a stupid letter saying that if we don't reply within seven or 14 days, consider yourself not a candidate. Uh, that's one. Or they are totally being ghosted. And I'm just like, okay, but you know that this, this situation won't last forever. And we remember that. Right. Oh, and we have glass door, right? So, <laughs> so people need to be careful. Um, I would say, unfortunately, the majority of companies are doing what you're talking about. They mm -hmm. are doing rejection letters. They are, you know, not sending out feedback why they reject anyone. They're 
they're um, fishing. They're just putting job postings up that yeah, aren't. That's, I've seen that too. That are not even open roles. Yeah. So this is a common thing that you don't really know is happening until you go into the staffing world, right? And mm-hmm. then you go in the staffing world and you'll learn a term called phishing. And so when we post a role, we have no open roles, we have no clients, and we're just trying to get resumes. And then you're wondering, okay, well, I interviewed with the recruiter last week. I'm assuming I'm going to get a follow-up. You're never going to get a follow-up mm-hmm. because I don't have a client yet. Um, so 50% of the open roles that you see on Indeed, Glad, any of these places are phishing job posts. So how one of the ways, we, I was going to say, we, this yeah. is how we're going to look at these job postings mm-hmm. from now on, guys. So one, if it's over 30 days old, do not apply. There's no yeah. reason for you to apply for a job posting that's over 30 days. Because most recruiters refresh their job postings every week or every Every two weeks. That's the big one is like, why is this opening? Number two, is it posted by an agency, a staffing agency, or is it posting directly from the company? Now you're going to see this two ways. You're going to see it in the messaging. They're going to say something like my client is looking for X. If it says my client is looking for X, that's an external recruiter. That's usually a staffing agency. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't have anything in the body about the client, like if it's like in, like uh, in gas and oil, or if it's like retail, or if it's anything, it's a fishing post. It's a hundred percent efficient post. They're just trying to, and especially if it's generalized where it's no real information about the company, like benefits, there's no information about really what your day-to-day is. It's just little like highlights of like, I need five years of experience of Adobe and one year of this, that is a phishing post and 50% of posts online are phishing posts. And this is where the frustration comes with candidates, right? Because they're over here applying to hundred, like Suzanne said, she's applying to 120. I bet you 70% of those were not open roles. Yeah. It feels like Tinder. It feels like, you know, it is like Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, recruiting is like dating, right? It's, we know this, right? It's just yeah. like the whole interview process is like dating. Okay, Susanna, can you can you save us? <laughs> <laughs> trying. So the two biggest things that matter now during COVID are the same things that have always mattered in recruiting and the same things that have always been missing in recruiting, which is why hiring is broken. And those two things are empathy and communication. Mm-hmm. I swear, it's like recruiters have never looked for a job themselves. They forget what it was like to be insecure, to be afraid, to feel rejected time after time after time. In those 120 plus jobs I applied for, I had exactly one recruiting company that communicated with me at all and did a regular check-in and let me know what to expect and then actually delivered. I didn't get the job. I am a huge fan of this company because they communicated and they said they did what they said they would do. So for companies right now, people are paying very close attention to how people are, companies are behaving during a time of crisis. Because who you are right now is who you are and you're most stressed at a time of like response. So we're learning a whole lot and a lot of companies are telling on themselves in a big way. This is time for, it's an opportunity for transformation we're looking at who is pivoting to the moment, who is flexing, who is allowing their workforce to work from home, no questions, who is saying, take your family, take care of your family first. We understand that you are trying to work in the midst of a crisis. All of that information is being taken in and shared. So you need to be very conscious. And I don't care whether or not you have open positions. If you have candidates who are waiting to hear from them, from you, you have an obligation 
to mm-hmm. take care of your candidate. But what, what if a company receives, let's say, 500 or 200 applications? I can assume that, you know, the, <laughs> the, the in-demand companies like the tech companies, maybe Google, Microsoft, I don't know what, what's happening in the States. But here we do have, uh, you see some companies where you see 300 applications. I'm just like, whoa, this is, how are you going to reply? And now we're getting to it. And that's where hiring better kicks in. Mm-hmm. Because if you're getting 300 applications, you're hiring wrong. Yeah. You haven't built a good candidate funnel. You haven't mm. led a discernment process where people have the opportunity to learn more about your company and take themselves out. You that's are basically fishing. And you're saying, we're, it's like this movie Singles where there's a character who's like, I got 500 numbers. I got 500 numbers in his like phone watch. Companies do that all the time. It's like the number of candidates you get is not a positive mm-hmm. metric. You should actually yeah. be looking to get one right candidate. That's your pet, right? Yes, my cat, Gracie. Sorry. <laughs> hey, Gracie. Hey, Gracie. Gracie runs everything around here. Hey, Gracie. <laughs> to kind of capitalize on what Susanna is yeah. saying. <laughs> the whole ATS system is built to yeah. filter out things, yeah. right? So when we go and we do a job description shoot, we should have what we consider kickout questions from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's right. We shouldn't get to a 300 candidate. By the time we've done kickout questions, we've done a great job description, we have a great screening, we should on average only really be getting maybe 50. And that's on a high end on probably a mid-level role. Once we get to VPs, I should only be getting 10 great stellar and then out of those 10 I should be able to have really hire everybody but the only, it's going to be these one two little things that I'm going to be looking for okay um, you you touched on something that I wanted to save but let's start with that because okay. you mentioned ATS mm-hmm. and ATS is some kind of a, a artificial robot that screens everything so okay can, there's, can, there's a lot of lies out here about what an ATS okay. system is <laughs> tell <laughs> me application tracking <laughs> systems are not robots right mm-hmm. um at all they are think of them as a crm system for candidates okay mm-hmm. they okay. are some added functions on there for us to be able to automate things so automate messaging automating kicking and screening people out automating keywords um but let me just tell you how real recruiters use this because i think people think recruiters use the ats like some magical box we don't um one um, most ATS systems are not used to their maximum capacity. So mm-hmm. most recruiters are not even using the kickout questions and they're not even using the functions of being able to go ahead and take the keywords. So when you hear people going and saying, oh, well, when you apply, make sure you put all these keywords, you'll be surprised how many recruiters never use that function. Like, I would say more than 80% don't mm-hmm. use that function. Um, so there's some little... Li- AI comes from different, it's actually a whole different thing. AI Mm -hmm. is actually where we automate the pipelining of candidates. So that's like used mostly in retail to believe believe it or not. It's actually not used in other, I would say other industries. I've only seen it in retail. What about you, Suzanne? Have you seen AI really play in a lot of these bigger companies? So one of my favorite companies is actually an AI company out of Finland called Hedai. And they have developed a natural language. Uh, what's their, sorry, what's their yeah. name? 
Hadai. H-E-D-A-I. Okay. So they have something with the word die in it? <laughs> no, Hadai, it's finished. <laughs> I was going to say it's finished, right? Yeah. yeah it's finished. <laughs> so they use natural language processing to mm-hmm. um, connect the skills that people say they have with mm-hmm. marketplace skills. Yeah. It basically becomes a communication facilitation tool. I think there's a lot of power in that. But yeah. the thing that we always have to remember with AI and actually with any technology is that technology is built by humans. Yeah. And therefore, technology also um, echoes and amplifies human biases. Very true. So we've seen this with uh, applicant tracking systems that were designed that somehow privileged lacrosse as a previous like extracurricular sport. And what that meant was that you got white bros who had gone to New England Ivy League schools, got filtered through, and if you hadn't happened to play lacrosse, you didn't make it through the gates. Mm -hmm. That's not an appropriate gate to put up, but that's because the people who designed it, ATS, like lacrosse was something they valued or they thought was something that would give you some information. So I think giving over recruiting to AI or or getting like, ooh, AI, you're so like, this is so hot right now. We have to be very careful about how we implement this. But do you think that AI can help sure. with recruiting diversity? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, like Hadai's tool where you're using natural language processing to basically help mm-hmm. people get out of their own way and yeah. really get to what they're talking about. I think that's great how they're utilizing it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but you touched on the ghosting part, and I still need to ask this question. So there are people being ghosted. What are the tips that you have for recruiters to prevent them from ghosting candidates? I know you touched on it, but I still want to repeat it. Yeah. I think for ghosting candidates, there's for recruiter standpoint, there's mm-hmm. only two different types of reasons why a, a recruiter ghosts. Because number one, no recruiter wants to ghost a candidate. Candidates are actually our lifeblood. The, the metrics that we get, um, our KPIs is how many people did we place that month? How many people mm-hmm. do we have pipelines? Most recruiters don't want to ghost. They just don't have systems in place to ensure that they do not ghost. They're not utilizing their ATS system correctly. Now, you see that automatic email that comes up when you get rejected. If you if you get one. Yeah, if you get one. Now, let me tell you why you don't get one. A mm-hmm. lot of companies say that they're not going to send out an automatic rejection email until the position is completely filled. Now, you know, sometimes positions can last up to three to six months. So what will happen is you will not get in a rejection email automatically, even though you're rejected in the system, in the ATS system. So I've already rejected you as a recruiter, but my hiring managers have told me, don't send out any rejection emails until the end of that role being filled. I've been heard, I've told, I've, I've heard recruiters tell this to other recruiters. I've heard hiring managers tell people this. That is the main reason. But I think the number one reason is they just don't have systems in place to go about and making sure that they do not ghost. Like you said, people can have 300 to 200 applicants. And then people have the, I think, philosophy of thinking, well, if you didn't hear anything in two or three days, then you're not getting the job. Like, why are you as a job seeker wrecking your brain over the fact that you didn't get called on? But I do want to I, say, I, w- I, I would say accountability here though. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. even for the candidate side, we have to think to ourselves, if we haven't gotten a call in the first two weeks after we applied, 
we're going to just assume that they're not interested because majority of the time you're going to get called in the first two weeks from the time you submitted an application. And if- I also have a, another message for the recruiters. And that is in the meantime, you're hurting your client's brand as well. Not only your own brand, if the brand is mentioned or if, um, you know, there are some tech savvy people that can Google because sometimes, sometimes recruiters just copy and paste whatever is in the vacancy and they copy the job ad from, from the website. So you can, there are ways to find out which companies it is. And um, just so you know, you're not only hurting your own brand, you're hurting the client's brand as well. And in the future, a company might not buy or somebody might not buy, or somebody might not do business with your company and the company that you are trying to recruit for. So be mindful about that. I think that. that's very, when it comes down to empathy, right? Really mm-hmm. being in the job seeker's shoes and being like, yeah. hey, we need to have empathy here. But I think yeah. as well, we need to be understanding in the fact that as well as their brand is being like, you know, tarnished, as we say, the reality of it is people are still applying. Yeah. We are taking this as a population, as an okay thing to do. We are still yeah. applying to these companies. So guess what? We're giving them fuel to continue their toxic ways. If we do not want to participate in these toxic cultures, these toxic interview process, I tell people just don't do it. Don't yeah. participate. Don't apply to these companies. Make sure that you're letting people know what their practices are. And majority of the time, if you do a little bit of research, you'll realize the companies that are actually ghosting candidates, the ones that are not giving rejections, the ones that are not giving feedback. So I think we have more power in this situation than we think. I think if we just stop participating, guess what? Companies are going to be like, oh, I don't have any candidates. Well, maybe it's because your glass door is a 2.5 because... Yeah. <laughs> Because you're candidates. So I think we need to empower ourselves here and start really having that first line of conversation with recruiters too. Like when I'm on the phone with an internal recruiter and I'm trying to apply for a job, I let them know I what I expect from them. I say, I expect that you guys are going to be communicating throughout this interview process. I expect that after this conversation that you will be giving me the hiring manager's information, the date of the next time we will have an interview. And I expect to know what the timeline is. Mm-hmm. And I will set up these times. You have power to do that most job seekers think they don't have that power on that conversation okay we have a comment coming in um shyla is saying we have several applicants answering screening questions in a way that does not match their resume what do we do we need i don't see supervision on their resume but you answered yes to yes three years of supervision it may be a bad resume or it may be an embellishment This is where Monique's approach, I think, makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. You have told me, Monique, I love this. You said a recruiter could take out 10 random resumes from a pile and have a 10-minute conversation with each of those people and find a great candidate. Yep, yep. I would say that if there are other things on those resumes that pique your interest, then just pick up the phone and and call. The way we define supervision is very loose. So I'm a former teacher and people would ask me about prior management experience. Y'all, I used to manage 46 fourth graders and 26 third graders. And- I salute you. Oh, yeah. I, I, I am, I'm saluting you. I'm saluting you. I got two kids. I can't do it. Managing one. 
<laughs> but if I wouldn't necessarily think of that as supervisory or management experience. However, that has absolutely mm -hmm. prepared me to do all the work I do now. Yeah. So I think having that conversation with someone is the best way to address that. Yeah. And I think also having the correct screening questions. Yeah. So I don't know what your screening questions are, but if you could actually post them in the comments, I could probably give you some feedback on what those screening questions should be for the open <laughs> role that you have. But I would say majority of it is going to come down to the, your basic screening questions, because those are your kickout questions to see if you should actually be having a conversation. Um, and then the next thing I would be doing is if they have supervisor experience on their resume and when you have a conversation with them there's a disconnect i need you to look at how you can look at the transferable skills here mm -hmm. what are these transferable skills and if yeah. you most recruiters aren't taught how to look at a resume and look at transferable skills so you might need to get some training on that and i mean i can definitely send you a link on how to look at your transferable skills on your resume sheila we can kind of go from there but i think that's what you're going to have to do and for supervision it's very loose right like yeah. i think susanna made that a very big so you you need to start defining what does supervision yeah. really mean for your organization. And once you define that, think to yourself, okay, so now this is defined. Is that what the role is really? Because a lot of the times we make a definition of what supervision is, what we need for organization, but we don't actually see that translate to their day-to-day -day responsibility. And also maybe also maybe look at, you know, you're asking 10 skills. Maybe they have six. What are the other skills that you can mm -hmm. train on the job so that they can learn? Um, because if you have a candidate, an eager candidate who's motivated to work there, motivated to learn and motivated to do better, I'll say wheel them in. Wheel them in. And I think to that um, to that point, a lot of issues we have in hiring right now is a lack of OJT on the job training. Mm -hmm. okay? have, people are always talking about this talent shortage. One, I don't believe in a talent shortage. No. I mean, maybe in tech, maybe. I would say even there, I think there's ways around mm -hmm. that. We um, have a mentor shortage. Exactly. exactly. We, have mentoring. A, we have a training problem yeah, yeah. in this country and yeah. we have a mentoring problem. Everyone yeah. wants everyone to come to work and have everything figured out and just kind mm -hmm. of go with work. That doesn't even benefit you as an organization, right? So um, I would say think about how you can make a training program within your organization. That would actually help your brand. So think about this. You can make a cool employee brand video saying, hey, these are the people that we hired. We had this job description. They didn't match all of the boxes, but we hired them anyways and we brought them in and we trained them. I would, you would have people in groves applying for your organization. Mm -hmm, and it's a small thing to change. But most organizations, this is what they're going to tell you. I don't got time to be training people. <laughs> that's, that's what they're going to say. I do not have time to train. If you do not have and that's that's why I think that mentoring, bringing back mentorship within the program, it's a win-win. It's a win for the senior. It's yep. a win for the junior. It's even a win when they do diverse mentoring or sorry, mm -hmm. uh, reverse mentoring where mm -hmm. the junior person is teaching the senior how to deal with tech or how to deal with Instagram. I have so, never seen that. That's amazing. That's, yeah. That'd be great. I've never seen reverse mentoring. Ever. I would push back on employers and say, you don't have time to do training badly, but whether or not you do training consciously, you are, people mm -hmm. are learning. They're yeah. learning terrible habits from yeah. your other employees. They're learning your ways of work. So why not get ahead of it and train people the right way and do it in yeah. smart ways. Don't pull them into a room for six hours a day with a boring person speaking <laughs> at them. Yep. Do exactly that. that 
the side by side, like coaching the apprenticeship on board. Apprenticeships aren't just for industrial jobs. Yes. You're learning all the time. And apprenticeship isn't for the youth, right? Right. It's also for the it's people who are working there longer. Make it available for all ages. Yeah. And then the employers will tell you, well, they're just going to leave me in 3.2 years anyway, and I don't want to make yeah. that investment. You've yeah. got to get bigger and understand that you're actually investing in your entire sector and that the people you make better are going to make your entire field better because yeah. maybe in three years they leave, but maybe in three years they come back to you and they're going to be an even better employee if you've treated them the right way and given them a reason to want to return. Yeah. Not only that, but just your employee brand. Every every company I know is trying to increase their employee brand. Mm -hmm. So if you're just doing the basics and treating your employees well, and you're actually promoting within, which I think is a whole other conversation, is mm -hmm. a lot of companies do not promote within correctly. The interview process isn't correctly done. Um, we are not taking the people who has been a receptionist for five years, but is, who's a killer at data analytics. And she's been telling everyone, hey, I'm really into data analytics. I did all these courses and look and she leaves the company. Yeah. And she leaves and she yeah. goes with this amazing data analytics to your competitor. So it makes <laughs> no sense. Yeah, <laughs> not, you know what I mean? So that um, but I think it really comes to being self-aware as humans, yes. as leaders. We need to become yeah. more self-aware and understand that we are not different people when we go into office every day. We are the same people. Um, we might have a suit on, we might have a uniform on. <laughs> But we're the same people. And I think if we start yeah. disconnecting that, I think we'll be more empathetic to our employees. We'll be more empathetic yeah. to our candidates. But right now, you're right. Training is, is definitely something we're lacking. Okay, that brings me to our final question, which I'm saddened. But I'm if like, you have any questions. <laughs> <laughs> Almost 15 minutes now, but we have to end it in a way. So everybody who's watching this if you're watching the replay know that we have amazing women here sitting in this panel so please reach out to Suzanne and Monique if you have questions afterwards but when during this live session if you have any question now ask them now so that I can ask my last question so what is your wish for 2025 when it comes to humanizing the workplace and recruiting Monique um, to have less, um, I would say to have less automation from tech and have more automation from human contact. Um, mm. I would also say my other thing for recruiting would be for recruiters to really understand their job. I think a lot of recruiters don't understand the basics of what they do and they're not held into really good. We training. lost you, Monique. Can you hear me? Is I it me? Did you hear? Yeah. Okay. So there, my, there was a small hiccup. Sorry. Okay. My, don't worry about it. My last one is I just wish we <laughs> had better training. I think a lot of the time oh. we're hearing a lot of issues. I'm going to, I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to go to Susanna. <laughs> so to pick up on what Monique said, um, oh. recruiters need training. We, there is okay. no way you can major in recruiting. There's no training course okay. for recruiting. We hire 20 something year olds at bargain basement prices and hold them to metrics of um, quantity over quality. Yep. And mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, so here's my radical proposition. I think we actually need to hire older people to do this who have better perspective on work. Okay. My go ahead. Time out. I think Monique is it's stuck somewhere. Monique? It keeps saying the host is muted. Yes, Susanna, continue. Sorry. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, so 
my 2025 wish is that companies realize that hiring isn't just a one-time activity mm-hmm. and your responsibility doesn't end when someone signs a contract. Like to get back to Monique's dating example, I feel like marriage is a daily commitment. You wake up every morning and you decide to be in that relationship. Employers have to recognize that you've got to re-recruit every single day and you need to take care of the people who you're working with because they're the source of your next great employee. They're the source of your next contract. They're the source of your brand and reputation and they're the source of your success. So we need to really think of recruiting as the first touch in a much bigger human growth and development process that really focuses on empathy and communication as the priorities. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the last tip, Monique, you, your connection disappeared a bit. So what was the tip that you have for recruiters, your wish? Um, okay, um, I think my biggest one is to remove technology and bring back more human connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say hands down, that's more. So more phone calls, more video messaging, more reaching out to candidates on a more human level. And then the second part, Suzanne kind of already outlined is training. Um, Mm -hmm. We do get kids out of college. You know, I was 18 and a half when I started recruiting. I was hiring people in robotic engineering and I barely knew what a robotic engineer was. So I know from experience that training is lacking. Thankfully, I got three mentors that really taught me Mm -hmm. along the way, but I sought those out. They were not in my organization. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say training is probably the number one thing. And to your point, um, hiring, I think, um, actually making some type of recruiting certification or a course that you're going to give your recruiters when you hire them on is key. Because I think a lot of the times that's just not done. Should but, so what you're saying is should recruiting should be um, standardized, uh, some kind of certification that they need to have. Because I feel like recruiting is a is an open field where everybody can join. It is an open field, and I do think you should have to be able to get some type of certification to have some basic knowledge, like mm-hmm. employment law. Like you should know what mm-hmm. to say and what to say. Um, I've had people ask me if I have kids in my interview, how old I am in my interview, yeah. what high school I went to. You think I don't know? You're trying to fish for my age. Mm-hmm. I know. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I think just basic training. But I think yeah. once we up level the whole industry and by doing things like certifications people will view us differently and i think the company will view us differently and i think right now like you said an 18 year old can can become a recruiter and over here you know recruiting robotic engineers thankfully i turned into a great recruiter but (laughs) but i also know that i didn't really know anything and i was told here's a phone um these are a list of call people that you can call and i was like oh okay Let's match this together. And that's how it is in most organizations. They say, here is the job spec. And you guys got to understand recruiting is a transactional recruiters or mm-hmm. non-transactional recruiters. Mm-hmm. Most recruiters are transactional recruiters. That means they have no influence over the job description. They have no influence over how the actual recruiting process is laid out. Now we have things like head of talents and things like that. Now that we're starting slowly, but surely they really bring that in and empower recruiters. But mm-hmm. previously we did not. It was like, here's a job spec. Go find that person. And okay. that's it. We have the last comment from Maya Line. And let me see if I can show her. Maya Line is saying hi and looking forward to the replay. 
Um, yes, <laughs> thanks for having this conversation to all three of you. Thank you for watching Mario Line and definitely watch the replay. I'm going yes. to create a, a short picture, image, video from the things that they they shared. They really shared valuable stuff today about recruiting. And let's hope that with the tips that you the recruiting process, okay. we can save it. <laughs> oh yes, we can definitely save it. I 100% believe we can save it. Especially with all three of us. <laughs> is she stuck again or is it just me? She's stuck again. It's okay. not just you. <laughs> I like Vivian, recruitment is not stuck. And, it's and we're lost. I think technology so, is not having a good day like today. Me and so Susanna trying to fix it. So yeah. we're all here. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a pleasure to talk with you guys. I am so glad we are on the humanizing workforce team. I think that is the most important thing is to keep having these conversations and to not let it go. I think I'm going to end, end the conversation for today. So thank you ladies for watching this session. Let me, let me see. Let me see what happens. Okay, sorry for the, I'm not going to apologize. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes we have a bad connection. Sometimes people blur, but I'm trying to, I will create something small out of it so you can receive the highlights. And thank you for watching for Let's Humanize the Workplace. And I really enjoyed it. And know that today, today, let me see. I was supposed to share something, yes. Today was the last, was the 50th episode. That's what I wanted to share. So thank you for watching Let's Humanize the Workplace. And my guest speakers, if you're still online, please stay online. I'm going to say hi to you soon, but thank you for watching Let's Humanize the Workplace. And tomorrow is another episode at the same time. My name is Vivian Aqua and I'm the Workplace Wellness Advocate. Bye.